episode 268 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we have no Jaime Lopez today. He is nowhere to be found. Oh, yeah. He's driving in his, on his couch at home somewhere. Is he driving at home? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. No, yeah, maybe I, think not. I think he's on the road training or something like that. Yeah. Anywho. Um, did it, yeah. So did it bring last, his couch? Sorry? Never mind. <laughs> on the couch? <laughs> I asked um, if he brought his couch. I don't oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's one of those yeah. portable couches. I don't know. Could he's be. A, you you know, know. Maybe it's a digital yeah. Nomad now that he's like, you know, on the, uh, what is it, the, uh, not evangelist side. He's on the, uh, what do you call it, Dev- developer relations or whatever? Or, uh, uh, Dev advocate. Dev advocate, advocate. Yeah. yeah. We have a couple of fact check things from last week. Uh, we were talking about, I was talking about the, you know, the difference between, you know, what we pay for uh, gear in Canada for Apple gear. As, that's the one I can go by. And I've heard horror stories about, you know, expensive equipment in Europe and, and especially Australia. But, uh, and I was just, I was I remembered, thought back, you know, even when the Canadian dollar was higher than the US. I mean, I don't know when, if you remember, but when we first met back in 2010, the Canadian dollar was was higher than the U.S. We still paid an extra fifty dollars for every mm. every piece of Apple gear. At least, I mean, and I don't, don't quote me on fifty dollars. I mean, like fifty dollars per Mac, and you know, right. So fifty dollars for an iPhone. It wasn't was I mean, some things might have been more than that, but but yeah, it was still still expensive. I don't know if it's a, a duty or a tax or something that maybe the Canadian government's grabbing or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. There's tariffs. We know that yeah. people have tariffs for things. These well, days. technically, you know, the Apple gear hasn't been made it was in i mean the 80s and 90s it was made in ireland and then it was moved in china so technically it's mm-hmm. not made in the u.s so right. it wouldn't have fallen under the, the north american free trade agreement which is what we had back then nafta right 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 but i'm sure there's other taxes yeah well i mean apparently shoes are, are really heavily taxed coming across the border hmm. uh, yeah well I, I mentioned before that my my sister-in-law lives in woodstock new brunswick and it's right next to holton maine in fact she, her house is closer to holton maine mm-hmm. and before they had a walmart at, in woodstock stock she would drive across the border to you know get clothes and buy milk in the u.s mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah and she just you know, one of the things you, you never mentioned that you bought shoes when you were there because it was like ridiculously i think some, you know, something like 80 percent tariff or something like that it was crazy pricing but you're allowed to bring milk across the border yeah yeah so yeah, yeah so i guess, I guess yeah. or whatever i don't know i don't know maybe the yeah, monkeys I, I, are I swarming to our house right now I don't think, yeah i don't think they bought <laughs> meat and stuff like that well this is like way before like even 9-11 yeah. so yeah, i'm sure mm-hmm. i'm sure the rules have changed quite a bit since then. Yep. Plus statute of limitations is seven years in here in Canada. I don't know what it is in the US, United I States. Think it's, but, I think it's seven years too. Yeah, okay. So anyway, so that's the first thing. Second thing I mentioned, Shred, which is uh, uh, it's, it's actually SR uh, ampersand ED or Shred, when we say Shred, mm-hmm. and it's the Scientific Research and Experimental Development Tax. That is a tax credit. Uh, I, I think I made the implication that it was free money. It's not. It's a it's a break on the taxes that you pay. Or, or it's, a, it's a tax break for companies who can claim that they're doing some unique new work that's not been done before uh, on a Canadian product. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it pretty much pays for a developer to salary, right? So, which is significant when you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of work goes into into making those reports, though. Um, I also mentioned, we were talking about SetApp last week, and I couldn't remember the name of the company that produces that, but SetApp and uh, Clean My Mac was actually by a company called MacPaw. I think they're out of mm-hmm. Europe. And uh, so they're the people behind SetApp. And we also talked about Matchbox cars. And when I was a kid, Matchbox was a UK 
brand, uh, along with Corgi and, and uh, Dinky Toy, which I mentioned. But uh, they were bought by um, Tyco. I don't know if you remember Tyco. And then sure. that is now owned by Mattel. So technically, it's mm-hmm. now an American brand, but mm-hmm. originally it was a, a UK brand. And when did that happen? Uh, 90s, I think. I've got the Wikipedia here. Like, quick, quick, quick look. Yeah, it started in 1953, uh, a die casting company. And then where did oh, it looks like 92 is when Mattel bought them. Yeah, yeah. Tyco was, I remember Tyco. Tyco had a little windy up cars too, right? So I guess the toy business is a tough, tough market, tough market, right? Mm. Yeah, that's that story behind that. Oh, yeah, okay. It's like in 92, in, let's see. So, so when Hyman was a kid, <laughs> it was it, American. Yeah, in 92, it got sold to Tyco and then to Mattel in 97. I, I 97, read that wrong. Yeah. But it looks like something called Universal. I'm scanning for that. What was Universal? I don't think it's a movie theater. Mm. Well, it's a Mattel brand no, now, right? I don't know. So. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. We had, we had Mattel toys. Very, I, Jaime mentioned Hot Wheels. Of course, I had Hot Wheels when I was a kid. And yep. I had Hot Wheels. I had Matchbox cars, yeah, too. Yeah. I found a, I found a poster. I put it up on my, uh, on, I think I put it on my Instagram, but uh, a poster from the uh, from 69 of, you know, the first California, cool California cars. And, mm. you know, they had the Corvette and they had a, fir- a Firebird. and the Mustang. Brother. Yeah. And then they had a couple of, had, I, I had a, a El Camino with, with um, surfboards on the back. So I don't know why. Actual surfboards or pictures of surfboards? Little plastic, so, little plastic oh. surfboards. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't painted. They oh, were, no. yeah. I lost those, you know, almost instantly when I had those as a kid. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So we oh, had you had fall- the Matchbox version of it, not the No, I had the, the actual Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels. Yeah, the red Hot Wheels. Not the actual car. Yeah. I'll, 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 I can show you the picture in a bit. But, uh, yeah. uh, anyway, so we uh, we were talking about uh, Worcestershire sauce. I'm saying yeah. it that way because we got an email from Mark Ambrose, yep. who is a 57-year-old English developer. And he says here, I love the show, my commute podcast, uh, knowing exactly how what you guys discussed, especially the old stuff. Um, he decided to email us because, you know, I don't know, but he, he pointed out that Worcestershire, which is where Worcestershire sauce is from, it, yep. in the UK is pronounced Worcestershire sauce, which is how that video we talked about did it. But he's got an interesting anecdote, and I don't know if it's true or not. Well, he says Worcestershire, not Worcestershire. Worcestershire. You know, like Worcestershire. Well, Shire, we were saying yeah. Shire, like, you know, like the Shire. Shire. Oh, yeah, yeah Worcestershire. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those arguable things. I was joking right. around when I first brought it up. And and even just seeing it written, though, doesn't uh, doesn't tell the whole story because the pronunciation of the U depends on where you're yeah. from, too. I, I know some British people around here yeah. who call the town that we call Sunnyvale yeah. here. They yeah. call it Sunnyvale. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. So so who knows how that U is actually pronounced that well, he's writing Well, it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> my, uh, my number one fan of Spotcast is my, my grandson, Xavier, and uh, he's hmm. been watching. He watched Top Gear for years, right? When he was a kid. Uh-huh. So, you know, we all say Lancia cars. Of course, uh-huh. he says Lancia. Lancia. Lancia, which is the way the, the, the Brits on that show say it, right? So mm, Sounds very posh. Mm, Lancia, yeah. Anyway, continuing on with what uh, Mark what Mark Ambrose was saying, uh, he, he gave us an anecdote here. He says he, he doesn't know if it's true or not, but he, he'd heard that the German SS used to, to uh, determine whether somebody was an English spy by asking them to pass uh, one of two bottles of vinegar or Worcestershire sauce, and depending on what how they pronounced the Worcestershire, like it was a sort of trick to get them to say the word and then mm, they could tell mm-hmm, whether or not mm-hmm. you were uh, uh, a British spy or you were actually German and that kind of stuff. And, and it's, he, he goes back to the, the Great Escape movie where the, you know, the uh, SS officer says to one of the characters, actually the leader of the group, you know, good luck. And the guy goes, yeah, thank you. And then realizes, oops, yeah. <laughs> supposed to be speaking yeah, German. Yeah, similar to, there was a scene in uh, Inglorious Bastards, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of similar. Probably it was inspired by, by The Great Escape, actually, where, yeah. where they did the same thing except it was they oh i forget exactly
exactly. But I think it was holding up. They said, hold up, you know, yeah. the n- n- number three in your fingers. Yeah. And, and now I forget which, which is which, but one of them, either German or the UK, mm-hmm. uses a thumb to count. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. start counting on with the thumb. Right. And right. the other one starts on the, what is it? The index, index finger. finger. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you were one of them, you'd hold up three fingers. And, right. and if you were the other, you'd hold up a thumb and two fingers. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's how they copped them in that one. Huh. How do you do it in Canada? Counting one index finger. Okay, yeah. So that's how we do it here too. Yeah. Well, it's funny yeah. though. As I'm doing that, I'm, I'm using my left hand. I don't know why. Maybe you count with your left hand. You have your pencil in your right hand or whatever. But, but my mm-hmm. thumb is extended, even though I, I start counting on my index finger. Mm. Right. Like a one, two, and then it, then, then my thumb. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you ever remember the the uh, back when you're installing on the original Mac classics. They used to have this animation where they were, you know, they, instead of having a hourglass or a watch, mm-hmm. they actually had fingers folding in. Yeah, I remember that. Sure. And it used, but yeah. but but they reverse the animation. So first of all, the thumb would fold in, then index, you know, middle ring, and then baby finger, and then mm-hmm. they would play the animation in reverse. Which is, if you think about it, it's really hard to do, right? So I used to always watch that and just like, and then, then so you lift up your baby finger first, then your ring finger, then your middle finger, then your index, and then your thumb, right, to do it backwards. It's a little bit of trivia for folks. It's not that hard. I'm trying to do it right now. And it's, it's not. It's not. It's, it's not te- I'm, I'm not saying it's terribly difficult. It's just. It's not. Yeah. Not natural, or it doesn't feel natural. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it's a lot that. harder to have your full hand open mm-hmm. and fold down your your Index pinky finger. finger first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fold down your pinky finger first. That's really hard to do. Well, because your tendons are, are wired right. up differently, right? So yeah. yeah. Anywho, okay. um, anyway, yeah. That. moving on. <laughs> More than just coat, folks. Um, so we talked a, a couple of months ago about this, or uh, during uh, the Black Hat conference in in the, which I think is around WWDC. Now I think about it in Vegas uh, about this cable called the uh, OMG cable that somebody had created a prototype for, and the idea was that it has a Wi-Fi hotspot in the cable. It looks just like a Lightning cable, right? Um, you plug it, you plug your somebody, you lend your lend your cable to somebody to charge their phone and plug into their Mac, and then creates a wireless hotspot that lets you into their Mac, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of sounds a bit fishy, knowing Apple and their security, but, you know, who knows? Maybe there is a way around that. Um, mind you, you know, I didn't post that that uh, that exploit we were talking about last week on our Slack. Maybe we'll, we'll grab that in a minute. But yeah, so now this this thing, this uh, lightning cable, the OMG cable, is going into mass production now. So That's it's, not good. It's not cool. Yeah, it's just another, yeah. another thing to worry about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess everybody uh, put some kind of distinguishing mark on all your cables so you yeah. can know that they're yours. Yeah, yeah. Don't use somebody else's cable. Yeah. Well, you, I would kind of wonder, though, wouldn't you think that if Apple knows this stuff is coming, that they would kind of build defenses for it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, how many existing cables are out there now that and existing hardware that won't have this defense? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't I don't really know how the details of how it works. So I don't know how protectable it is. Well, know. Apple still does publish security um, security patches for older older operating systems. Because I, I saw one the other day just uh, for a real little computer that I had. Mm. Fired yeah. Up. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that kind of scares and what we were talking about, though, is I think we're, we had it in our Slack. I'll grab it here. Where was it? Uh, just code. Um, yeah, this massive iOS exploit affects several iPhone, iPads, and Apple has no patch, according to this article. This is out of uh, Mobile Syrup. But this exploit doesn't really have a, well, we don't know. We don't know whether it, whether anyone's actually figured out a way to do anything with it. Mm-hmm. There's So it's not an ex, it's not really an exploit. It's a vulnerability, right? Right, right, yeah. Oh, the thing about jailbreaking, yeah, the fact that you can jailbreak a, a phone in, like, no time. Yeah. I guess that's 
that's the issue, right? So, yeah. I, we, I thought Apple had pretty much locked down all the abilities to jailbreak. I think it's a constant battle. Yeah, Check M8 isn't a jailbreak on its own. That would be Checkmate, I think. Oh, okay, right. right. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm not into the skater lingo. <laughs> um, yeah. Axiom X, yeah. Or is it Axiom 10? I don't know. Yeah, and he's open sourced it up on, on, on the GitHub, right? So, mm-hmm. well, for, like, but again, like, I think we were talking about on, like, who, who, who jailbreaks phones these days? Like, they yeah. don't really need to do that anymore. Unless, you know, you're feeling impressed by the man, right? But then again, it's not 1960 anymore. Yep. There you go. Well, here's some code we could talk about. Um, I, was, right. I found this article this morning uh, about Swift memory management, and it's uh-huh. interesting. I went through it on. Uh, I hadn't really used the. I'd never really used the, the memory debugger in um, in Xcode. I, I did have some issues, but I don't know if you've ever tried it. But I, so I did go through this today. Um, but this article by um, Mikhail Rogowski um, published on a dev.to, which I don't know if it's the Toronto site or not. But um, oh no, he's in Poland. So yeah, um, he posted an article here talking about um, memory addressing, and you know it gives a definition definition of, of big Indian and, and little Indian. I don't know how, if I'm saying that right or wrong. No, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, talking about you know how how the bits are broken up, uh, like a string of bits are broken up into into bytes and then stored, and you know the the little Indian way is a, is a bit more efficient than the big Indian. Uh, I guess it depends on the amount of data you're storing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gives a couple of examples there. But what's really interesting about this is he goes through a couple of examples later on. Because um, you know why do you care? Uh, you know because he starts off with a traditional question that we all ask people in interviews is you know what's what, what's the difference between a struct and a class, right? Mm-hmm. And you know. The, the easy answer is pass by value, pass by reference, right? But but there's a bit more to it than that. It's like where you know structs store their memory in the what's it called? Uh-oh. Not You're heat, on spot the now. One. Is it? Um, I just as soon as I started opening my mouth, I realized. Yeah. Uh, it an S, structs you know, are on the stack. Stack and the heap. Classes right? yeah, are classes on the heap. in the heap, right? Right. Um, and and the stack is like like the amygdala. It's much faster than the heap, right? So and it's meant for um, things that just need to be used really quickly and then and then got rid of kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things about them. They're more efficient that way. Uh, and again, structs are better for, for building um, properties that aren't necessarily going to be mutated and that kind of thing, like a longitude and latitude as an example that they use in Ray Wendelik books. Um, so he goes through a couple of things here, talking about uh, showing how to use the debugger, you know, basically build a, build a little, uh, um, create a variable, give it a string value, um, and then use uns- with unsafe pointer and print it out and puts a breakpoint in the code. So when you run it, uh, you can stop it and you can go to, Debug menu item, debug when debug workflow, and look at the view view memory, and that shows it brings up the the uh, memory debugger. And what issue I had with it, Mark, was that when I when I did break it, it didn't give it gave me the memory address of, of zero x zero zero, and I had to paste in the actual memory address. But so, but in the view debugger at the bottom, I forget what that pane is called, um, where you know it shows you the uh, the properties that you've created. In, yeah, the uh, console window. In the console. Yeah. I just copied the uh, the address yeah. from the console and pasted sure. it in, and then I could see you know the layout of the memory, right? Yeah. You know, I got to tell you, I didn't know this existed yeah. and this would have been enormously useful oh, yeah. for some of the stuff that I've done in the past. Like when I was doing some networking stuff where I, you know, where I was just building, um, well, uh, you know, networking through a, through a stream and just building, you know, some just structures byte by byte to send them to the stream and just trying to debug some of the weird issues that would happen with that. This would have been amazingly useful. Wow. Thank you for posting this actually. And thank you uh, to the... Mikhail for writing Mikhail. it. Rogowski for writing this. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna use this often. I think. Oh, I know. Yeah, so so many reasons why this is a great great little tool. I mean, I I, I, I joke about Derek Salander because I, I sat next to him once at a conference a couple two three Ray Wendelik's ago, yeah. and he was just working on his original um, advanced 
debugging book that he wrote, mm-hmm. uh, where he talks about you know how to go in and change properties and stuff like that without running code. Uh, long before Apple did their thing at WWDC last year, not this year, the year before. Yeah, it's really annoying. I went to publish a couple of uh, updates, and I had, now you have to produce a, a preview for the third generation iPad Pro and mm. the the big phone, the 10R, I think it is, or the 10X, 10X Max, 10X Max, I guess. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, what is this pain called? What are you called? Which pain? What are you talking? At the very bottom of your, you know, when you got Xcode and you've got the the proper, I think it's property viewer and then the console. You mentioned console, right? Yeah, I just called the console. Yeah, but the other side, what's the side on the, the left called where it shows you each of the, you know, it shows you what you have in self and you can look at instant var- IVARs and stuff like that and see what they're yeah. assigned to. And Does that have a, a different name? I don't know. It has a name, yeah. I'm just trying to remember what yeah. it's called here. Quickly and around. Oh, da, 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 da. I used to know this stuff off by heart. I thought if I'd hover my mouse over top, it would tell me what it's called, you know? Yeah. Speaking of debugging, have you noticed in Xcode 11 that breakpoints are really, really, really slow? You know, you, you mentioned it last week, and I actually saw somebody on Twitter. I, I highlighted it. I was gonna, I'll send you the link. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you're not Is the only one solution? having this problem, Mark. Like another another guy sort of went, yeah. you know, because they were, uh, this is what it was. Ryan Nyson posted something about how he still uses print to de- debug, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, print this, print that kind of thing. And uh, we used yep. to do that with Anis Log back in the day, and it's called caveman debugging when you right. do that, right? Sure. But, uh, Although it has it has its uses. Yeah, of course it does, right? And, but then so do these debugger panes across the bottom. You put a breakpoint in and, you know, you make your breakpoint right. sing or whatever, make noises. Mm-hmm. I still can't get the name of this. What is this pain called? Well, the other problem in Xcode 11 related to, to, to the breakpoints is is uh, breakpoints that don't stop yeah. are are extremely slow. Oh. So in other words, if you have that box that's, you know, continue, continue after hitting the breakpoint, yeah. continue execution, yeah. which you can use to log stuff uh, instead of a print statement. And it, and it really is, if it, if it worked as advertised, it would be much, much better than putting print statements all the time because you never have to actually change your code. The problem is it doesn't really work right because it takes so long to, to execute the print that it slows down your, your app and mm-hmm. breaks, you know, asynchronous kind of stuff or anything that's timing dependent. Well, I can't f- really kind of frustrating. I can't what the name of this thing is. So I'm, I'm going to call it the, the property viewer. Let's say, let's just call it that for now. Or sure. variable debugger or something like that. I don't know. It has a name, but I can't remember. What, like you used to know when I was teaching iOS and somewhere around here, I have an Xcode yeah. cheat sheet that shows me what it is. But uh, anyway, ca- carrying on with this this article this guy wrote, um, Mikhail wrote, um, uh, he goes through some examples where he does a, uh, it shows how to use the view, view debugger. Then he does a copy by, copy by, by reference example and, you know, builds a class, you know, creates a, creates a variable, assigns some values to it, makes it, copies it to another object, and then, then prints out the memory addresses of those two objects as you run through. And then he changes the, the second object, and you see that both, um, both memory assignments change, right? To sh- and this to, to, to show the, perf- the, the, um, what we say about copy by reference, which, you know, we use in most classes, is that when you change one property, it also changes all the other instances of it, right? Um, and then... Uh, oh, if it's copy, copy by reference, it's all one instance. Um, and then right. the copy on right... Multiple pointers. Sorry? Multiple pointers to one instance. Yeah, and then... The one, one area of memory. Right. And then, and you can look at, you can look at as it changes, you can, using the memory debugger, you can, yeah, memory debugger, you can look and see at that stuff. And then he writes another example of uh, using uh, copy on write to show the difference with that and, and, and then he finishes off with a copy by value where he, in this case, he uses a struct to show that the, the memory is, is much smaller. Interesting thing too is, is he talks about the, the size of memory that you store. Um, like he's got a very, he gets a, uh, creates a, a in, an integer value or int value, right? Um, and he shows that if you, if you, if you create the uh, int as an int eight, it takes up even mm-hmm. less space, you know? So, so between one change and another, it's like a, a, just 
just a single byte difference between. Wait, less space than what? Than a regular integer, which is a 64-bit oh, integer, right? right? So sure, yeah, yeah, of yeah, because you yeah. need 64 yep. bytes, yep. even though you're only writing like maybe one, you know, one, one character change or one, you know, like the difference between mm-hmm. one and two is just one bit, right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So and then he he shows the example of in-out par- parameters, which I think uh, we've talked about before, where they're um, you know, I'm trying to remember what the hell they are. Um, there's a more efficient way of of, uh, of uh, mutating values, right? So, but it's interesting with this unsafe mm-hmm. pointer thing. This is a, 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 a stuff you need to work if you work with C as well, right? In your Swift programs. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of uh, anytime you want to convert between say data data objects, you know, of type data to just raw bytes. Uh, which again, when you're doing like networking kind of stuff, you do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's other reasons, other places where you do it too. Uh, but yeah, whenever you do that, you have to do this dance with unsafe pointers and all that. And it, I have to say that that's it, still to me that's the one part of Swift that just feels Un- unnatural, not quite yeah. finished. Yeah, it's like they they needed to do something, yeah. and they came up with this and said, "Okay, we're shipping it." Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, you know, for all of the the elegance that Swift has as a language in other areas, mm-hmm. uh, this is just downright clunky. I hate to say mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of cases where I mean, maybe not in our day to day lives, we that we need to deal with C. But if you're dealing with equipment and and you know instruments and stuff like that, like actual physical hardware, you very often need to get mm-hmm. down to that level, right? So yeah, a lot of embedded, well, certainly almost all embedded embedded stuff is done uh, with just pure yeah, C, yeah. not even C plus plus, just pure C. Yeah. Certainly not objectives. No, that's true. Unfortunately, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's another quick hit. This is from uh, John Sundell posted posted this today. Uh, I kind of wondered about this, but I hadn't hadn't really gone too deep into it. But he posted today that the uh, Swift Playgrounds update. I guess I don't know if it was updated today or whatever, but uh, if you want to get into playing with Swift UI and Combine, um, the Swift Playgrounds on iPad now supports Swift 5.1, which I think shipped, is it 5.1 just shipped or 5.2? Um, became official, right? And then uh, and then uh, yeah. iOS 13 SDK, so Swift UI and Swift Combine. And he's got a, a screenshot here of a Playground uh, basically doing, he's call, calling it Swift UI by Sundell, which is kind of an in-joke. Um, yeah, you lo- loaded up Playground support so you can get a preview and you're actually getting, you know, Swift UI previous. So if, yeah, if you don't, if you have an iPad and you don't want to dive into updating Catalina and that kind of stuff and just want to play around with this stuff, this is, uh, this is amazing stuff. That's very yeah. cool. I'm going to have to play with that. Yeah. yeah. It means that all of the other Swift Playground stuff has all become even more deprecated. I wonder if all of the Swift UI tutorials that Apple has awesome. published, will they all work? On, That's what I'm saying. Like, like, like I still have some of the original ones from when, when this, uh, this came out and some of those original games are still, they don't run properly because they're written in the previous version of Swift. It tells you right on, right in the app when you try and run it, this is written with this previous version of Swift, unless you want to go through and refactor all the code yourself. Well, I mean, but you know, you can do that. I just, I just wonder if all the, if all of the, uh, yeah, the, the sample code graphics libraries and all that are all fully, fully operational on the iPad. Yeah, I don't you know, know. Playground. I was cleaning up my, oh, no, yeah. oh wait, it says there's no canvas feature in his text. Oh, really? Oh, he said, somebody mentioned canvas here. Yeah, it says right there, the Swift UI support is still, is super buggy and there's no canvas feature, but it's still fun. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So it's still cool, but that's less cool <laughs> than it would have been if you had the full canvas. Because right, right. that's kind of the main reason for, for needing oh, is that the Catalina version. that what they call the built-in simulator kind of thing that's, that's in Xcode now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Canvas. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And that you could, well, it, it looks like it has the, the simulator part, mm-hmm. so it'll show mm-hmm. you it'll show you the output, but you can't, I believe, you can't drag and drop things and construct your UIs graphically, visually, right, right. like you can in, in Xcode 11 on Catalina. All right. Okay. Which is too bad, because that would have been cool. Yeah. Well, guess what? Um, we're already at the picks part of the show. 
Wow. Yeah, without harming here, that's you know, to keep keep the gab going. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and but my picks aren't they're not they're not they're not lightweight picks this week. I've got I've actually got five of them, so they might as well just I could just move them into the actual part of the show. But okay, I'll borrow a couple of yeah. Years. So, well, I don't know if you saw this one here, but we can probably talk about a few minutes about this one. But it's called the reverse interview, and I often tell uh-huh. people when you know when I, when people join the companies I'm working at and they're they're walking around with a PC and they're dragging their heels and whatever. I'm like, dude, you should have asked for a Mac as part of your your onboarding. Like you should have said, I'm not coming to your company unless you give me a Mac, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's interesting, though, about this reverse interview is, and I've seen this a couple of times in, in, in different places here, and that's the the questions you should be asking when you're applying for a job. Not just, don't just, you know, go in there and, and you know, hope and pray that they hire you. you. You need to find out about this stuff. Mark and I were talking about medical benefits before the show, and, and that's a huge thing if you're, like, especially, like, from, you know, if you're a Canadian coming into U.S., it's a, that's a hurdle you have to think about, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So here's some example questions you could ask. Like, obviously, what's, you know, what's the plan for on call? Um, What tasks will I be doing in in a usual day kind of thing? You know, what does your onboarding system look like? You know, like, is there going to be like, like, you know, like when you go to Facebook or Google, there's like a two, almost a month or two of like, you know, going out and just being like an intern, even if you're a senior developer to sort of find out where your best fit is kind of thing, right? But not every company does that, right? Like some of them just throw you right Mm -hmm. into, here's a bug, go fix it. Right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, what about uh, what's the expected number of hours people are, are meant to work? Um, you know, we're, I was talking to somebody about the other day about that flexible. We were talking about this. We were months ago about flexible time, you know, where, or flexible days yeah, off, flex time. you know, uh, where they don't really define what your, your time is like. But I think the expectation, as long as you get your work done, you can take as much time as you need, you know, for personal things, whatever. But that's Yeah. Most most tech companies are like that. You, they have flex hours where maybe there's some certain core hours of the day where you're supposed to be there because you need to go to meetings yeah. and you need to interact with people. But very often you have a lot of latitude. You know, some people like to come in early in the morning and, and leave in the early afternoon. And some people like to come in later and stay and stay all through the night. And it just kind of depends on the yeah, person. Yeah, is that cool? I mean, like, you know, where I currently work is, you know, as long as you put your time in, it doesn't matter what time you start or what time you end, as long as you mm-hmm. put your time in, right? Um, yeah. On the tech side, you want to ask, you know, like th- simple things like, what's your stacks? What, what, what kind of stacks do you have? Like what kind of apps are you using? What kind of frameworks, you know, are you Carthage, are you Pocopods, are you neither, um, you know, what about, how do you do source control? Mind you, you know, they should be asking you when you're being interviewed what, what, whether you're familiar with source control. How do you test stuff? How do you track bugs? Um, you know, how do you prepare for, de- is, is the code backed up? What happens if, you know, the, the sprinklers go off and destroy all our computers, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Ask them about the vision, you know, do they do static code analysis? I'm just picking things up by random here. You could ask about the size of the team and, and how much, you know, how much uh, you know what the level is in terms of uh, the, the other team members. Like generally, I mean, you, you don't need na- to name names or whatever. Um, you know uh, what happens if you don't like an idea and you need to push back. You know um, what if you miss a release target. You know how do you track people's progress? All kinds of different things that you could be asking about. You know because you want to make sure that when you go in that you, like like I said before, just because you're applying for a job doesn't mean you have to accept the job based on on the fact they're going to give you money and a, a job. You maybe maybe it's a horrible place to work. I've taken jobs before where I knew within two days I was in the wrong place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, ask about the company, obviously. Of course, you want to do, make sure you do your, your homework before you go in there, you know? Um, you know, find out about the company, you know, like in where I currently work, you can actually apply for patents, you know, if, if you come up with something uh, original and they'll, they'll, they'll sponsor you on that, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do you deal with conflicts? You know, how, is it, you know, how does the team deal with toxic situations, you know? And about the business, like, is the business making money? What's the long 
long-run vision for the company? You know, um, how do they make the money that they make? You know, um, lots of different things. It was a really interesting thing about, you know, of course, compensation, time off we talked about. And um, yeah, you can you can do something. There's something here called a Joel test, which you'll have to look at after the, after the show. But yeah, this is posted on GitHub, so I'm sure it'll, it'll probably change over time. But yeah, these are some good uh, good pointers mm-hmm. to... Uh, yeah, this looks pretty good. Yeah, I recommend everyone go through and just at least give it a read. And there's definitely a few things in here that I'm like, oh yeah, that would have been a good question yeah. to ask at some point. So my next pick from Twitter actually comes to us from Patrick. Uh, he's at Hoverboard. Um, Catalina re- has removed the ability to, to choose allow apps downloaded from anywhere. Radio button is part of the security pane. Um, and uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. obviously Apple's concerned about security and making sure you're not going to go and you know destroy your Mac by downloading some unknown code and that kind of thing. But if you want to, you can actually go in and you can you can change the setting. And there's a post here. I'm not going to read it out. You have to look at the show notes link here. But you can go back in and turn back on, uh, in- enable that particular choice. So you've got, you know, allow, allow apps to download from the App Store, allow app stores with identified developers or anywhere, which is nine times out of 10, you're going to download something from the web or whatever. Uh, it's not necessarily going to be signed by Apple, although, you know, getting, getting signed, uh, apps signed from a trusted developer is always a good thing you know that's one of the reasons why apple does have uh, these um well remember we were talking a couple of months back about this yeah, whole yeah. uh catalina was going to require notarized yes. yeah exactly uh developers or notarized apps and it looks like and we were saying we were, we were wondering if if would, would you be able to turn that off because it seems yeah. like my computer if i if i want to take that risk i should be able to turn that off and uh, it looks like this will do that I, i'm assuming i'm assuming that when they say identified developers that's what they mean that but what notarized. they mean by that yes, is yes exactly what they mean yeah thing. yeah so this allows you to do that, but it, but it seems like uh, they're making it a little bit harder than they could have. Yeah, you, know, you, got, you have to know this this uh, special command. Yeah, I mean, li- yeah, and that's why we're not quoting it, reading it out here on li- you know liabilities and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, you, you, it's up to you if you want to do this. We're not advising you to do it or not. Um, yeah, chances yeah. are I'll probably do it myself. But you know, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's because it's my Mac and I'm not worried about it. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, it's good to know it, it, the thing the notarized thing that we were talking about, which uh, it was, yeah. The show when Alexis was on, uh, we were talking about this, right? Right, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So uh, another interesting thing. Uh, this is uh, posted, at, uh, pointed out to me by a friend on the Ray Wunderlich Slack team. Um, he posted this uh, thing, and uh, it's an app called Penbook. It's on the App Store. They celebrated the fact that they went live on the app, on the app Store last week on the twenty fourth, and it is a note taking app. You know, written completely in Swift UI. They say so. Nice. Yeah, it's a the it's called Penbook, and if you look on their site, there is. Penbook for Windows, so I'm, I'm sure. It's, I think it was an existing app, but they've taken it and ported it over using Pencil Kit, which we've talked about, and mm-hmm. and the iPad OS, right, and and Swift UI, and it's got that that uh, pen um, paradigm we were talking about, uh, where you get the. I don't know if you've seen. In, you're, are you running? Uh, you're running um, iOS 13. You know when you go to the mem- memo thing and yeah. photos, whatever, you get that sort of like little pen kit. You can choose a color and right. style right. and marker. That's Pencil Kit, or mm-hmm. I believe that's Pencil Kit. Yeah, so there's a link here to download. I downloaded it, gave it, gave it a try. I've got to break up, find my pencil and try it out. But I tried it with my finger; it worked pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. if you like writing with your finger. But um, I might have to try this one. So, is how much does this one cost? Or is it free? It wasn't or? very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've yeah. got my head. I think it was like it was less than less than five. It wasn't wasn't inexpensive, but it wasn't. Uh, or actually, there's a uh, there's a couple of links I've got here. One is to the actual site. Um, yeah, they show pictures of the, the pen kit as well. Popping open my iPad now to take a look. We'll get the official U.S. price. Yeah, but I've got a link here for Penbook. Uh, there's there's Substack. They're talking about how Pencil Kit worked for them. Um, interesting. Uh, talk about the the tool drawer, which is what that thing is called, where you 
choose your markers and your colors and your thickness of your line. And it looks like it's free. Is it free? Or is, or is it get? There's a get. It's get. Oh, I thought it was. Free. It has in-app purchases. So, oh wait a minute, they're asking me for my password. What? I don't remember my password? The app store is asking me for my password. Yeah, I think. It, oh, instead of your fingerprint, you mean? Yeah. Well, there's there's a timeout on how or often Face ID actually. There's a timeout on how often you use your your. It'll accept Face ID or Touch ID, right? I think once a week it'll ask for a password. And yeah, I guess actually, so. I think uh, we were talking about this at work the other day. That I think Face ID is more often than than Touch ID in terms of when it'll ask you to verify that you're really who you say you are. I always thought it was because I you know put my finger in my mouth or I'm eating a sandwich or whatever, right? Yeah, I don't remember what my password is. <laughs> Do you not use one password, not, Mark? <laughs> I don't use one, one password. No, I use I use uh, I use iCloud password. Oh, do you? Well, you can look up your iCloud yeah. passwords. Yeah, yeah. In Safari, you go under security in Shh. Safari, and you can you can enter your Mac yeah. password and see your see your passwords. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not on my Mac. I'm on the iPad. Oh, okay. Well, if you were using one password, you'd have access to your passwords on your iPad. No, I have access to them too. <laughs> one password yeah. brought to you by Agile Let's Bits, see. not a sponsor of the show, but okay. Passwords and built in Toronto. Yeah, by you have to go. Hmm? You have to go into the uh, settings app. Oh, in Safari and go down to Safari and look at passwords or? Yeah. I know how to do it on my Mac, but I've never really tried it because I have one password. I don't need it, but yeah. And then I got to find the right one for the Apple store out of the yeah. hundred or so apple.com passwords that are stored in there. You don't use your uh, same uh, same password? For the store and for I wasn't storing a lot of uh, passwords in my, in my iCloud myself. Yeah, see, I've got a whole pile for apple.com here. Let's look at it. Uh-oh. Oh, maybe this is why it's complaining because it's a little exclamation mark next to it. Yeah. Um, so next uh, tip here is uh, something I've been wondering about for a long time, and I'm not sure if this is new to Xcode 11 specifically, but apparently Xcode 11 has spell checking now. Um, you can hit Apple Plus uh, with a semicolon to find the next misspelled word. Works for code, strings, and comment. And hmm. yeah, so Apple Plus command plus and colon uh, show spell editor corrections. Well, that's that's nice, but I wish they would. I'd rather have them fix uh, code completion. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. In Xcode, then do stuff like this. You still think, still think it's broken? Yeah, I think it's broken. Do you hit you hit the escape key when you want to force it to do code completion? It, it, it you know it puts up things that I don't that are not really relevant. Yeah. Often, I mean, I know I know it doesn't know, but but still, it, it should be able to guess. You know, right. instead of putting up these crazy system level APIs, yeah. you know, put something up that I'm that I've used ever. <laughs> well, I, I find that it, t- it does tend to use yeah. reuse things that you've used recently. Like if there's ever a choice between one or another, um, you know, declaration yeah. that you've used in the past, it'll tend to pick the one you used last time if they're yeah. similar. One thing it's 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 bad about is it. So so you know you've seen my code, Tim, and and you know that one thing that I like to do is name an instance of a of a class with the same name as the class name except with a lowercase letter. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, that's kind of my my kind of style. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that I've been noticing Xcode is doing is I will type in oh, the lowercase Oh, it'll make it uppercase, one. yeah. It'll make it uppercase, yeah. even though it knows about the lowercase yeah. one, because that's that's a property on this on this other class. Right, right. It exists as a property. Right. So it could choose one of the two, but it autocorrects it to uppercase, mm-hmm. which is very annoying. Yeah, yeah I, I wrestle with that one too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's interesting though. You know, I, I look at a lot of sample code on, from, from other people and of course I'm, I'm reviewing mm-hmm. code all the time and it's interesting the ways people use to name things you know um, yeah everybody, everybody sort of has their own little style but uh, you know it's always it always bothered me as a new user that that uh, like like you said if you had a class name and you, and you created a, an instance of it with lowercase it always I always wondered because I used to always get confused by the two right oh yeah, yeah so not really understand I mean I do understand the distinction but now but when I was first learning it was really tough like which one of these guys am I 
doing here? And yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to learn the syntax. Mm-hmm. Well, the the meta meta syntax. Right. I yeah, guess yeah. is really what it is. Yeah, I'm still trying to find my password here. Under our last uh, our last um, pick, and it's actually a double pick because uh, and we're back to try combine, which is uh, Marin Todorov's site. Um, he's posted here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one this week is about combine combine function builders, but I was uh, I didn't read the property wrappers in combine. We've been talking about these property wrappers quite a bit since uh, the new things came out. Like, you know, we've got the, oh, I, and they keep changing the names on them. I'm not going to go into them. But yeah, so w- these these ats and at things that we've been talking about, right? And th- they're apparently called property mm-hmm. wrappers. But uh, so Maron's got an yep. interesting d- uh, article here describing, you know, the different ways you can use property wrappers in, in with Combine. Um, and that was last week's article. This week's article, as I said before, is Combine. Um, oh, I just clicked on this Slack page by mistake. Uh, today Today's article, or yesterday's article, published on the 30th, I guess not yesterday, a couple of days ago, uh, is about uh, combine and function builders. So, I don't know if you had a chance to look at any of this stuff, or Mark, or if you're scanning it, I have not had a chance to look at it. Rest but I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I was, but I put it down. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but uh, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I have to admit, I haven't really dug into this stuff all that much yet. Too busy with other stuff, but um, it's uh, definitely one of the things I need to start doing soon. I'm going to be traveling a little bit this weekend, so maybe I'll do yeah. that. Then. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, you know, if you're looking for a good source, Marin was one of the first people to work with Ray on the Ray Wendelick site now works for a company in, that sells fruit down in California. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting stuff. So that's uh, that's my pick for my picks for this week. I have to do double duty picking for Mark and Jaime to this week. So triple duty, triple duty. Yeah, there you go. There's a real short show for you folks. That's it for another yeah. week. So hey, Mark, if you want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right, and as usual, I am Tim Mitra, T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine. It's the best way to get a hold of me, and uh, we'll see you. Our, we're gonna we're gonna take a pass on next week. We'll put up one of our best of shows, and I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, but otherwise, we'll talk to you guys in the future. Bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, actually, last week I was playing around with the idea of uh, putting the show up on, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, YouTube. Oh, yeah? That's the, yeah, because I was on that podcast last week, uh, the one I was telling you about that I recorded a couple of weeks ago, they, they came out on Monday, the one about yeah. neuroplasticity, uh-huh. and they, but they publish their, they do like a snippet to YouTube, and then they, they actually publish the whole show on YouTube, so their hosting provider does that. So I went through, he sent me the script that he uses to, to make the, um, the short ones, but I just took the whole show and just put it through using, you know, FM. FFmpeg. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, just running one of those scripts and and it, what 
you, so you make an image and then um, you, you you make the movie and you burn the image in rather than like having you know I suppose we could if we really wanted to get fancy we could have like you know pictures of stuff that we're talking about on the show as we're talking about it but or or just uh, film a record player playing a forty five yeah well see this, this you, is you've thing. seen that right uh, this is how this is how people I don't know if they still can do it but they used to do this yeah I think it was to try to get away with copy getting around copyright stuff but they probably oh, yeah, yeah. got yeah so so basically what they would do was if they wanted to put a song up there right which you're not allowed to just put a song you mean up, like I a guess, live or, or an actual recording oh you mean an like actual, a, yeah. an actual recording yeah so yeah. They, they'd they'd put a video of them playing a record oh, of yeah? the song yeah huh. so you can still hear the song oh cool but but the video is not of the song it's of them playing the song right right so i guess they could get around i think that's that was what the reasoning for it or maybe it was just kind of boring to look at a still image so they yeah. put something up there i don't know all right, that was it. Short one. It's over. Uh, so, any any live music lately? Um, you know, I, I I don't know if I told you this, but I saw three concerts last weekend. Three last wow. weekend. That's yeah, I went. To, so I went to one on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Wow. Yeah, so it was pretty pretty uh, pretty heavy uh, week for anything. Uh, and I saw a movie in the middle of that too, right? So wow. my brain was addled. I went and saw that new uh, Brad Pitt movie, the um, Ad Astra. Mm, haven't which seen is, that one. I think it's Latin for To the Stars. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything, but like he he does these trips where he's an astronaut and he's got stubble, uh, like you know, like five o'clock shadow stubble beard, yeah. and he'll travel from here to Neptune. And when he takes off his helmet, he's still got stubble beard. And as you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but when you travel from here to Neptune, it's not going to take you like 50 days. It's going to take you like a year and a half, two years, maybe. Well, maybe he shaved and <laughs> maybe he, decided, he shaved. Maybe he decided to celebrate his last day. Maybe he shaved every day fastidiously the entire time, or every second day, so he had stubble. The next day, right? Well, no, only on the last day to celebrate that he was there. He didn't shave. Right. He took a right. day off from shaving. That's true. Maybe, maybe that's yeah. Obviously, that must be what it is. That's but yeah. definitely uh, yeah. the explanation. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. Yeah, notwithstanding the fact, like, what did they eat in that entire time that they went from point A to point B? Right. So, unless they went into suspended animation or something, maybe that's the the reason, right? Well, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. I didn't know that they didn't go to suspended animation. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Spoilers, Dan. Thanks. I know. Eh? Well, that's what they do in the there's a movie called I think I've talked about it before on the show called Journey to the Far Side of the Sun yeah and I've seen that movie yeah it's by Jerry Anderson the guy who did Thunderbirds and, and Space 1999 that was, that was one of the first movies I ever saw when I was a kid really oh yeah, yeah. Really, yeah. I, if you ever watch it again it's really slow it's like watching paint dry I bet it is yeah but it's because it came between like I tried to explain to people about Star Wars why Star Wars was so amazing was you know you had 2001 Space Odyssey which is a great movie right yep. and like very cerebral, cerebral and, and makes you think and all that kind of stuff stuff and then you had movies like like the one i just mentioned journey of the far side of the sun which is like like it's a good movie great story great special effects and stuff like that for its time mm-hmm. it looks very much like a, an episode for thunderbirds to be honest with you mm-hmm. in terms of special effects but um yeah it was like watching paint dry like you know watching these guys you know go into suspended animation it wasn't like on uh, interstellar where they had a really cool way of going in or, or even alien where they had those little beds that they lay in you know same sort of idea but because uh, that's what star wars did was it had that sort of you know the moving the camera instead of moving the model kind of thing. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So they, you know, it's kind of just blew the doors off in 
terms of special effects and speed, right? I mean, obviously, Star Wars happens like, you know, like really quick, you know? Well, it was really a Western just in outer space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it had that sort of pacing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But even pa- even Westerns, I mean, you know, in a Western, you watch somebody go from one city to the other and, you know, it's like, you know, the, the, the film reel changes and they've arrived. But, you know, back in the day, riding on a horse, you would have been riding for like a week to go from one place to another, right? Sure, yeah. yeah but well, they depends don't, where. Yeah. <laughs> they don't play that, that, they don't play that out in a, in a movie, right? So, well, it wouldn't be a pretty, a very interesting movie just sitting, sitting there for a week watching someone ride a horse. Yeah. Well, back in the seventies, there were a few movies where like they were like 24 hour long because they, they, they wanted to have like things happen in real time. right? Yeah. Art films, right? Yeah. yeah. Art films. Yeah. And then there was that girl, uh, the, 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 uh, activist, um, on climate change, Greta Storm, Thornburg, I think what's her name? Storm yeah. Greta. Let's yeah. call her Greta. Yeah. Right. She sailed from, you know, where she is in Europe to North America to prove that, you know, because she wasn't going to get in a plane and fly over here that, that right. you know, her carbon, carbon footprint, footprint would go through the roof, right? So, right, right. But she did, took her like, you know, a few, a week or something like that. Yeah, it wasn't quick, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah, so no new music recently. I'm going, going to see uh, oh. Experience Hendrix on Friday. Are you? Yeah. Who's playing Which, that? Uh, Dweezil Zappa. Is he? Okay, cool. Yeah. Joe Satriani. Mm-hmm. Um, Buddy Guy. Billy Cox. Buddy Guy. Oh, yeah. Buddy Guy, yeah. 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 They just kind of wheel him out for a song, you know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, who else? There's a couple of others too. Uh, Eric Johnson is going to be there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, somebody sent me the lineup. Hold on. We do have some uh, events coming up, but I got to check and see. Okay. Buddy guy, Buddy guy, Billy Cox, Joe Satriani, Johnny Lang, Dweezil Zappa, Doyle Brumhall II. I don't know who that is. Eric Johnson, Mato Nanji, Kenny Aronoff, the Sly Brothers, and Henry Brown. It might be Henri Brown. Total's not idea. Hmm. Oh, I'm going to see Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. In February. Yeah, they're going to be coming out. Yeah. Now my last event was Chichin Chong. We talked about last week, right? And then in October, I'm going to see Bob Dylan and oh, really? Steve Hackett. Yeah, I just saw the Steve Hackett show. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. I could spell it for you, but I won't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know he does Selling England by the band. Yeah, that's just what part of his show. And uh, Spectral Spectral Mornings. Yeah, yeah. Is it Spectral Mornings or Spectral Evenings? Spectral Morning. Spectral Morning. Not one of my favorite albums by him, but still. No, mine neither. But yeah. but Selling England by the Pound is one of the better Genesis albums. Yeah, sure. yeah. I've seen there's a, there's a group called here called Musical Box. I don't yeah, know if they come. I've seen. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, they do. They do Lamblays down Broadway and Selling England by the Pound. And yeah, I saw them do Foxtrot. Yeah, yeah. That the Foxtrot costume that he actually wears is that originally Peter Gabriel's costume. Eh? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because Gabriel gave him all the gave him all the stuff that they used yeah, back yeah. in the, the props and stuff, right? Yeah. So one of our Waterloo interns mentioned the um, uh, classic music. What is it? Classic. Classic albums live. Yeah. Classic albums live. Band. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. No. Did I have heard of them? Yeah. yeah. I, I I think I looked on my on if I look on set list, I think I've seen them the most. Yeah. Uh, definitely like fourteen times. I think for me, it's still Grateful Dead is still number one. Well, yeah. How many times have you seen them? Uh, like 24, I think. Wow. But, you know, with them, it was, they would come to town and you'd go to like all four shows. Oh, would you? Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. it'd all be different, yeah. right? Yeah, they'd all be different. Yeah. Every show's different. Hmm. They never they never played the same show twice, I don't think. Well, maybe in the early, early, early days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen classic albums live uh, 15 times. Pink Martini, eight times. Yes, six times. Musical Box, six times. Apple Plays Zappa, six times. Steve Hackett, right. four times. Oh, I've seen him more than that. Oh, really? Yeah. I've only seen him twice. This will be my third time. I saw him play at Mark theater back in like in 2005 it was just he was it was all acoustic nice yeah so it's really good okay for me it's grateful dead 24 hot tuna 23 king crimson wow. 13 yes Ooh. six king crimson oh yeah, yeah. 13 yes six mm-hmm. buckethead four fish <laughs> four oh, really? uh, okay. oh yes feature 
Strange, John Anderson, Trevor Rabin, and Rick Wakeman, three. So technically, between the two yeses, it's nine. Yeah, I saw I saw John, um, Anderson, Rabin, and Wakeman. Wakeman, yeah. Wakeman's coming here, I think, next week. Next week, he's coming to uh, mm-hmm. Danforth Music Hall. Mm-hmm. The Grumpy Rockstar Tour, apparently, is called. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and Roger not, I don't know three. most of his. Hmm? Roger Waters, three. I'm continuing with that on my list. Yorma Kalkinen, three. Yeah. Uh, so if you lump that in with Hatuna, that's the most I've seen of any. But here's, this must be the number of times I've yeah. seen yes, because I've seen, like, if we go to the top songs, I've seen round about eight times. Hmm. And you and I, seven. Comfortably numb seven times. And Can you look at to, your user charts to see your list by bands? Uh, what do you mean, concert? I'm looking at I'm looking at the, you're asking me where to look for that, or? No, I. that's the main list for me. It tells you bands, the bands by the yeah. number of times. Yeah, concert stats. And then if you go to song stats, you can see what how many songs, oh. what songs you oh, should sure. play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a good measure of whether you've, uh, like, I've seen Comfortably Numb perform seven times. So I've seen classic albums live do it a couple of times. I've seen David Gilmore do it once. And I've seen Pink Floyd do it twice. Mm-hmm. Right? First of the first, I've seen uh, seven times. But if you go, if you go out of, if you go to the, so just click on your name in the upper right. Yeah. I'm looking on my phone, by the way. Yeah. Oh, you're on your phone. That might be, okay. That might be why. Yeah. There's, there's a main page where the, the first chart they show me before you dump, go into the other statistics page mm-hmm. is, uh, the ranking of, of bands and the number of times you've seen them in order. Yeah, so I'm looking at that. Yeah, I've got classic albums, oh, okay. 15, Pink Martini, 8, okay. yes, yeah. 6, Musical Box. Yeah, that's what I was reading at the beginning. I see. Okay. okay. But then I went to the more stats. and uh, mm-hmm. So what's your what's your top venue? Massey Hall, 46 Com- times. 40, wow, 46. Wow. Yeah. I'm a little bit more spread out. My main yeah, one, I'm, I was kind of surprised by this, was the Mountain Winery in Saratoga, Yeah. which is now our local one. Uh, that's 19 times. Then the old Worcester Centrum in Worcester, Massachusetts, <laughs> 14 times. Yeah. Fox Theater in Oakland, 13. Greatwood Center for the Performing Arts in Mansfield, Mass. Yeah. Uh, 10 times. The Fillmore, 8 times. The well, see, Warfield, it doesn't, it doesn't help times. when they change the name of the places, too, because like now, Budweiser Theater, yeah. I've seen 12 shows there. I've seen 15 shows at the Molson Amphitheater, and I've seen... So that's the same place. It just, it just changed mm. the name, right? Yeah. And then the ACC and the Scotiabank are the same place. Maple Leaf Gardens, where the Leafs used to play back in the day, I've seen five shows there. So, yeah. Interesting. Saw Zappa there. Saw Peter Gabriel there once. Yes, I saw. I saw yes in 1979 there. Yeah, Massey Hall. I've seen, well, I've seen jazz actually. Massey Hall is like pretty pretty accessible for me. Same as Danforth Music Hall is just around the corner. I could like five minute walk from my house. Right, that one makes sense. Mm, yeah, mm, yeah, interesting. Diana Crawl. I don't remember seeing her. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So the last. Yeah, I saw yes with uh, John. It says yes featuring John Anderson, Trevor Rabin, and Rick Wakeman. Yeah. They actually toured tr- under the name yes. And you probably saw Anderson Rabin. What was it? Anderson Bruford Wakeman. How? I never right? did see them. No, I, I never saw them. them live either. Yeah, I don't YouTube. know why. All my friends went, and I was doing something that night, I think, so I didn't go. So in 79, so. I saw the, you know, the, the album Yes Songs? Mm-hmm. Right? So, in 79, they basically played Yes Songs with uh, Tormato and Going for the One. Mm. So they played, like, two songs from go- from Tormato. They played they played Going for the One. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yeah, this was before the, you know, the you know the songs we did in the, in the 90s, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't pay attention to those too much. <laughs> I saw John <laughs> Anderson and John Luke Ponte once together. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I have here that I saw the police in, in November 16th, 1979, but that's not true. I got as far as the front door. They would, the bouncers wouldn't let us in. Really? Why? <laughs> well, because back, back in the early punk days, you could give the, the bouncers like 20 bucks or whatever, and they would let you in. Yeah. But they wouldn't let us into the police. Oh. Yeah. And I think it was the second time the police had come to Toronto. So they, I think they knew that the police was a big band, right? Oh, you didn't actually have a ticket? No, 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 no. We didn't need oh. tickets back then. You should just show up and give people money and they'd let us in, right? But they didn't. <laughs> no. No, 
they did not. Not in this case. Yeah, well, yeah, well that's how it used to be, and probably still is, when you go to clubs. When you see small bands at clubs, it's like yeah, that. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta give the bouncer some money, yeah. Yeah. It did feel, did feel uh, kind of crooked, you know, so. Well, maybe they were afraid because the police were inside. And True. They thought it was illegal.